Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and welcome to a beautiful fall week here in the great state. The great Badger State, let's say. And we have our full panel, which means Priscilla Bort, our Movement Politics Director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Priscilla, good to have you. Happy to be here. Uh, the sun is shining, so it's a good day. Uh, I'm, I'm clinging to those last days of of summer, uh, but uh-huh. also clinging to those last days before these uh, heavy election cycles really start heating up. This is like prime time right now. It is. Beautiful time of the year. And we know Robert Craig loves it because, uh, you know, all his various places he went to school, their football teams are in full gear. Robert, our our executive director here. Robert, how are you doing? Well, only one of them is doing that well so far. So <laughs> uh, the Badgers did not cover themselves in glory on Saturday, for example. Give them but, time. Give them time. So, <laughs> yes, I'm glad. it. I think we need to cherish uh, the transitional season, which is in some ways warmer than what's called the summer, early summer here. Oh, yeah, it's gorgeous. I'm going to be in Eugene, Oregon this week at the Diamond League Finals. It's supposed to be close to 90, so uh, I'm planning on soaking in what might be the final uh, gasps of summer heat. Uh, Folks, we have a packed show. We are going to continue later in the show to talk about the ongoing effort by the a billionaire owner of the Brewers to get taxpayer money. We are anticipating there may be news on that uh, anytime now, anytime now, particularly out of the um, the clown show that is the uh, state assembly. But we'll talk later in the show uh, about that more. And we're going to have a special guest. We're very excited to have uh, Neil DeMouse from Field of Schemes. So uh, super operation that has been tracking uh, these kinds of efforts for well over a dozen years. Um, so we look forward to talking to Neil later in the show. But Priscilla, I'm going to go to you just to start the show, because before we started recording here Thursday morning, um, you have some breaking news. It's going to it's embargoed right now as we record. But apparently uh, it, that embargo will be lifted by the time this is out. Give our listeners uh, the exciting news you just heard. Yeah, uh, I'm so excited to uh, be able to let all of our listeners know if by this time you haven't heard or just to celebrate if you have um, Planned Parenthood in Wisconsin just announced uh, that they're going to be able to start resuming some abortion care in Wisconsin again. People are going to be able to schedule future appointments uh, at One Health Center in Milwaukee and another in Madison starting this Monday, September 18th. Uh, so it's it's going to be, it's happening. They're, of course, going to keep increasing the availability of appointments and service locations across the state over the coming months. But after... Oh, a more than a year long fight at this at this point uh, that keeps going that we keep seeing more and more anti-abortion folks get uh, get media attention that it's it's happening that abortion services are going to be able to be resumed in a matter of a couple days in Wisconsin. Well, that's great news. Thank you for being able to share that with us. And let me just say we're going to talk about a lot of things around our body politic and our democracy. It's important to start the show with this and center to the fact that this is about real things. And this is huge news for 
a lot of people, right? And um, the politics we talk about have real impact. And we will continue to, to be a part of that fight, all of us, not only the show, but just the work we do as we head into 2024. And we want to, again, encourage our listeners to stay engaged, stay active. Don't just be a passive listener. Don't be just a listener to the show. Be someone who gets out and does things. So with that, though, we want to move on and talk about just what's going on in Congress and in particular in the the House of Representatives, right? Uh, our listeners are certainly well plugged in. So you are tracking that as of this week, the House leader, McCarthy, who is, we've talked about it before, uh, is under basically tremendous pressure from the MAGA wing, uh, which also this week made news threatening to essentially shut down, go after and and, and remove McCarthy. His, so go after his speakership. And apparently him announcing this impeachment, which I don't need to tell our listeners, there is absolutely no evidence. It's literally the justification is to, for announcing it is to be able to try to go get evidence, which is absurd. But I want to I want to hear from our panel about this because it's a fascinating dynamic, right? Like all the all the Wisconsin Republicans vote for this impeachment. They all really careful in their language, many of them, except for like obviously Tiffany and there's some Craven, but like they're all trying to be sort of careful about their language in it, yet supporting something that they got to know better. They just got to know it's not what impeachment was meant to be used for, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Matt Gates is going nuts. He's threatening to to take off McCarthy's head. Uh, Priscilla, Robert, this... Uh, I'm not sure how, and it just seems clear to me, we're not going to have any kind of debt, like debt ceiling this later this month. This is, we're at, we're at what we know is an, sort of an inevitable space with these folks. Um, Robert, why don't you go first, Priscilla, then I want to hear from you. Just, this is a, this is a fascinating, fascinating spot to be in, in mega America. And Matt was referring to the next budget and a possible government shutdown because um, that has to be done in addition to the debt limit deal that President Biden already uh, negotiated. So, look, this is like Wisconsin and the threat to use impeachment, which we will get to. The, you had to give these powers to the House, to the state assembly, and to assume they would have some level of judgment and it would be norm and precedent-based. And when you have a party and a movement where no norms matter and no facts matter. And uh, if uh, if we can use the power to our advantage, we're going to use it, then it's going to be abused. So it's a pure abuse of power. They have nothing. It's unclear what the charge is against President Biden. It's even worse. At least we have a bogus charge stated against Janet Protasiewicz. And so they have they certainly have smoke around Hunter Biden, but it's not a, it's certainly not impeachable to have a, a family member who is who has done things badly. I mean, my goodness, Billy Carter, their Republican uh, uh, presidents who have had plenty of, 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 you know, relatives that have that have done things. Uh, there's no established connection. So what they're going to do is 
that first it's just the symbolism of having the impeachment vote and their side and probably a lot of other people, given the degraded uh, media we have now and no one believes facts, will think there must be something there because to try to balance what is there with Donald Trump because it was filed. And then the a House impeachment inquiry would have more power to subpoena and they're trying to give themselves a hunting license to try to find something on President Biden. But we already know with the completely failed Durham special prosecutor uh, 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 thing that Trump appointed to try to find malfeasance in the in the investigation into Trump. They didn't find anything. Uh, and they uh, yet they've tried. They continue to try to claim if you listen to right wing media or right wing callers on radio or Fox News that they did find something. And so they're just going to claim they found something when they didn't. And if this is going to continue, they can't convict. But the, they want to muddy the water so much that Trump's corruption and his high crimes and misdemeanors do, and his actual criminal prosecutions balance out against just throwing shit at, at President Biden and making and making it stick, because that's what tends to happen when people don't trust public information it would create this much cynicism and disbelief uh, and uh, and just clanism, you know, where we're just on one side or the other. So that this is the modern condition. Priscilla, your thoughts and is it as your thoughts also, if you have any thoughts on Robert's take, too? Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting that so many people so quickly shout impeachment uh, when like that should be like impeachment should be a big thing it was created to be like something somebody did something massively wrong that they need to be removed from office and no longer serve because of the things that they have done and all of it just in this short little like i'm not even like maybe two weeks time now uh that we're hearing so many big impeachment wins like things have not been done to deserve impeachment Janet hasn't even been able to like rule on anything yet. Biden has not. There's things that we're disappointed in Biden for, but he has not done criminal things that deserve impeachment. Uh, and it's it's all that like like Robert said that smoke and mirrors. Impeachment is just a way to slow things down. Uh, this is this is campaign season. The more that they can keep Biden tied up doing things and not on the campaign trail and not doing his job as president, the more that they can be like, oh, look, he's not doing his job. Why would you vote for this person again? He's not doing his stuff. So um, it's it's all just smoke and mirrors and frustrating when they, they're supposed to be serious things. And the Republicans just like keep finding that one little buzzword to cling to. And that's what they put out there in in the public. Robert, final thought on this before our break. Yeah, I, I want to point out the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, part of the newspaper uh, chain that owns the most papers in Wisconsin, keeps saying that impeachment involves committing crimes and it, it like like crimes that are in statute. Constitutions are above statute; they change over time. It's not about laws. High crimes and misdemeanors refers to public uh, uh, gross abuses of public trust. They're crimes that public officials can commit and average people can't. So they have nothing to do with the various evolution of criminal law. And so even the media is sowing a great deal of confusion about this. 
There is no precedent for it. I mean, we don't know what Biden's charged with, actually, other than they they assure he must be guilty of something with Hunter Biden. And what Janet, Janet Protasewicz is accused of has never even remotely been a high crime or misdemeanor. And obviously, in the Wisconsin uh, impeachment statute, there's a wrinkle not in the federal, in the federal constitution, that is, yep. actually convicted of crimes or fraud, uh, that and so they could act on that, but obviously that's not the case in uh, in the case of Protese. Well, listen, folks, we got to take a break, and if you stop listening, I declare that a high crime and misdemeanor. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. If you're still listening, you have not committed a high crime and misdemeanor declared by me is about as legitimate as Robin Voss's declarations of high crimes and misdemeanors. <laughs> Anyways, folks, um, we Priscilla, I wanted to get your thoughts. We're going to switch gears a little bit. And because a lot of this is about what are your priorities, your perceptions? And, and I want to talk about Senator Baldwin real quick, because when Senator Baldwin first ran for Senate, there were a lot of Democrats, I remember, who like really questioned that a liberal um, uh, gay woman from Madison, Dane County, you know, could win and, and win and do well statewide. Not only did she win, she she has won, relatively speaking, for Wisconsin handily and then most recently what I like to call a Wisconsin landslide. Um, and what we have been talking about, certainly Priscilla, over the last six months is as we've been observing one candidate after another on the Republican side, serious candidates just go by the wayside and be like, nope, that's not for me. <laughs> I see a loser for me uh, trying to take on Tammy Baldwin. And this week, David Clark, Sheriff David Clark is back. He is raising holy hell this is classic mega style right we just talked about dan gates right here's david clark doing the same thing he is light and fire he's the the arsonist is in the national republican party's offices trying to burn them down right now with his effort to take on senator baldwin and apparently they don't like it priscilla this is much about who baldwin is and what a strong position she is in a swing state as, as it also is about what in the hell is going on right now in the Republican party. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think I could ever answer that question of what is going on in the Republican party. Uh, but it, it speaks to the, the power and, and likability for lack of a better word. I hate using that word, but like people like Tammy Baldwin not just Democrats like Tammy Baldwin because of her work in in agriculture, in dairy, in tech. There's a lot of things that people are like, okay, all right, Tammy Baldwin. Uh, so it speaks to uh, how hard of an opponent that she would be no matter who they would put up. Uh, all of their top people that could have given her even a slight challenge uh, have all said, no and now we're on other people um 
And, you know, I also, uh, I agree with the Republicans in that I hate David Clark. Uh, as, as much as I know Tammy Baldwin would be able to beat him <laughs> handedly, it makes me worried that he could just so openly, you know, people like be like oh no don't worry about my time as as a as milwaukee county sheriff ignore the fact that like several people died uh who were incarcerated because i cut their water off and all the other behind the scenes that like we'll never know about because everybody's you know kept quiet about it so it's it's it shows you know who the republicans are even like thinking about putting up that that's who their person is uh but yeah, it just good job to Tammy uh, for being such a likable and uh, hard to beat person. Yeah. And look, uh, it's not lost on me that from the very beginning, Tammy has been clear on some fundamental progressive keys like healthcare for all has articulated that clearly to anyone who cares about that while working diligently on like moving us in that direction these are some of the secret sauces in addition to who she is and how hard she works around the state. But your thoughts, Robert? It proves several axioms about politics that I think I want everyone to consider because we were trying to build a farm team and we all not only see this in action, but a lot of other folks either running for office or finding people and supporting people because we don't have enough good candidates within the progressive wing of the party, Democratic Party or the whole party. One is that candidate quality matters. There's a lot of effort to put uh, weak candidates over the top. And I, I don't want to get personal here, but I don't think we had a very strong candidate in, in Congressional District 3 last time, and we paid That's for it. Uh, and not being personal, it's an objective Joe. analysis of the candidate. He, he's a very decent uh, man. So the second thing is that conventional wisdom about candidate quality is often wrong. And we have all sorts of opinionated pundits and we have younger political staff that listen to them, right, that have this cookie cutter approach to what a good candidate is and they're often wrong. And Matt's description of how Tammy Baldwin was underestimated her whole career, because I first met her when she first was running in the student district for the county board in Dane County back in the early 1990s. And she's always been underestimated. Uh, the third thing is, uh, and this is the uh, shibboleth of a lot of political professionals and the and the moderate wing of the party, progressive values and aspirations are not unpopular. In fact, they're more popular, and it is listening to the quote-unquote lobby core, that's the term in the capital for the people who represent the economic invested interests, um, creates this groupthink that makes it harder for us to win, because people who stand for economic populism, by that I mean empowering and give and and uh, sharing resources and opportunity for average people and not just billionaires and corporations. That's very popular. Medicare for all and guaranteed health care for everyone, no matter what. Health care is a right, not as a commodity, uh, controlled by big prof for-profit entities. That is extremely popular. And Tammy has put those together with candidate quality. Um, and uh, just with a with a personality where she is good at delivering those messages and is pretty hard to hate. Look, the other thing is she's real and she walks with people. OK, and that's important. So this week, earlier this week, she was up in rural areas 
visiting with folks, right? Talking to Trump folks, talking to independents, talking to her base, talking to people who love her, right? It's really important work, but more importantly, when there's important fights, like, for example, the SEIU nurses are in a huge fight with UW Hospital. You know where Senator Baldwin's going to be on Friday? At a press conference, standing with those nurses, like Robert just said, standing with regular working people, organizing together and standing up against big large powers. That's a fundamental thing. There are plenty of things from the left we can maybe legitimately critique Senator Baldwin, and we know she has her well-founded critics. But on the whole, this is a superpower, right, in terms of being doing that. And I'm going to wrap this up because we got a lot more to talk about, but I just want to throw this out there. If Senator Baldwin wins a second election by what I will call the Wisconsin landslide, I'm sorry, strong should be strong presidential candidate strong and you think about this times fundamental progressive values she's not fancy she does she's not a show horse she's a workhorse right and that is what this times will need and talk about a generational change if if president biden were to be reelected for four more years right anyways just throwing that out there so folks We have to talk more about what's been going on here in our state legislature this week. And we previewed this a little bit last week about the ridiculous and massive tax cuts that just, again, like appear and reappear out of nowhere. Uh, They're all functionally the same massive redistributions of wealth. And Trump, Trump got back in the news this week. He is also promoting massive uh, tax cuts to the wealthy if he gets reelected priscilla this seems to be the um what do you know uh the big wealthy and corporate backers of uh, the republican party are making sure they get out there and push those tax cuts for the wealthy yeah what do you what do you know the uh the wealthy the people who really need the tax cuts are, are getting the the tax cuts because they just you know they're living you know paycheck to paycheck and really need need these things nobody else in the state of wisconsin or you know in the whole country needs some some relief so once again yeah it's it's like not surprised about any of this anymore anytime we hear tax cuts we can automatically assume nine times out of ten it's going to be something proposed for the wealthy for the people that don't need it and it's just so laughable when all these people try to campaign on oh i'm here for my constituents uh like yeah you're here for some of your constituents the ones who can give you bigger campaign donations and help you fund your little special side interests but it's just this is this is why election cycles are so important and to listen to these candidates and hear what they are saying and read in between the lines of what they are what they are saying make sure when they say tax cuts that it's for people who actually need it and not for people who don't and and robert for break i want to get your comments but look this is this is absolutely critical for democrats and progressives that if we actually want to fund the priorities and needs that we know are critical can't we we have got 
to get out front on some progressive taxation. We need to be taxed. We need wealth taxes. We need to close corporate loopholes at the state level. We still have the man egg tax credit sitting out there, leaving most corporations not paying a dime. Robert, so this is not only a, a thing about what the Republicans will keep proposing, but it is a clarion call to the progressives and Democrats. We need to get out there and make a full-throated effort and an argument for government and government's ability to accomplish our biggest and most pressing issues. Robert? So I just was at the Capitol this week. We'll get to that later, doing old school organizing. So I'll use a term they use, stakeholders. Stakeholders means not average people, not the voters. It means the people who matter, the big interests. Wealthy people have many more votes than we do. They're stakeholders. And so that's why that's the constituents that drive such a tax cut. So breaking it down, you're you're going to make a lot more retirement income exempt. Who has retirement income? People who have made enough money to have retirement income. By having an exemption rather than an income limit, you make sure the wealthiest who have the most retirement income get the biggest benefit, okay? Who would structure that that way unless they're simply trying to help the wealthy? Then you have a tax bracket, the third tax credit bracket, which is so big that it includes a whole lot of wealthy people and some middle class people. So when they were getting rid of tax brackets and saying there are too many, this helped glom together a lot of rich people and middle class people so you could claim you're doing this. And what is totally missing? The people who need it most. There is no refundable tax credit like a child tax credit or income tax credit. So this is outrageous and people are against it. Then I will say I see progress in the Democratic response because they're talking about us not having the revenue. That is the start of the first step towards, because we don't hear that from Governor Evers, that is the next step towards President Biden and billionaires' taxes, because we're not going to do what we need to do on education, child care, health care, everything else, uh, a huge workforce program we need for the green economy to meet the climate challenge, unless we actually improve revenue and roll back a lot of the tax cuts of the Walker era. So, folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin for Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Before the break, we were just talking about, look, a fundamental issue before our body politic and, quite frankly, before the Democratic Party. And it's going to require a conscious and strategic effort on progressives, both us as individuals, but also organizationally, the progressive movement to start to demand a, a, a serious approach to revenue, especially at the state level, right? Because you know, the federal money, if we don't win these elections, right, the federal money that's been flowing from ARPA, from Inflation Reduction Act, from the uh, Infrastructure Act, that will end. And the, a lot of that money state and local folks have been depending on. So it's very important that we continue to have this debate. And as Robert said, it's great to hear state Democrats starting to talk about the revenue issue. And we want to encourage that. We'll continue to talk about that uh, as we go forward. But folks, we got to welcome a guest and that is Neil DeMoss. And he runs the website Field of Schemes, which is a fantastic website that tracks all of this kind of stadium building that goes after public money. Neil, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Good to be here. Well, Neil, we've had a lot of conversations in trying to set up this interview, and um, uh, I guess where I want to start is, 
you've been at this now for a couple of decades. You've testified before Congress about um, these efforts by professional uh, sports team owners, billionaires, basically, to get public money to essentially build a private uh, stadium. Neil, tell us more about, like, just from your perspective, you know a little bit about what's going on here in Milwaukee, your thoughts about, like, how Milwaukee seems to fit into what's going on nationally. Well, I mean, obviously, this has been going on for a long time, as anyone who follows sports um, knows, in terms of uh, public money for for private stadiums. I have to say, when uh, my co-author on the book, Phyllis Keaton, Joanna Kagan, and I first started looking into this in the 90s, and one of the first um, uh, cities we started looking at was Milwaukee and the attempts for, a, you know, what turned into whatever uh, Miller Park is now called, right? Um I did not think that we would still be looking at this long enough for you know to be talking about uh, you know hundreds of millions of dollars again for the brewers. Um, it's there's a sort of an uptick right now. Um, I mean, there, there are always you know cities all over the country where teams team owners are demanding money for either new stadiums or renovated stadiums. There's sort of an uptick right now in MLB. Um, because for a couple of reasons. One is just that there was a huge slew of stadiums built in the 90s and early 2000s that are now getting, I mean, old is completely the wrong term for them, but are getting old enough so that, it, you know, the uh, the uh, team owners can start demanding money and claiming that they're, you know, too old to be, uh, to continue in the way they are now. Um, and they can do that and still keep a straight face, right? And that's that's okay. exactly Neil, what's yeah, happening right. here. That's exactly right. what's happening here. And if but if you do that five years after you built a new one or ten years after you built a new one, people might laugh at you. If you do it fifteen to twenty years, it used to be thirty to forty years, but they keep inching up, you know, quicker and quicker. And since the Braves and the Rangers both got new stadiums, you know, a little over 20 years after building their old ones, I think, you know, they're sort of trying to uh, to push the envelope a little bit more and say, well, you know, 20 years later, 20 years is, is old now. Um, so that's one part. Another thing that's going on is that baseball is talking about expansion. Um, they've been talking about it for a while, but kept saying, well, we're not going to do anything until the Rays and A's get their stadium situations resolved. And the A's are maybe moving to Las Vegas now, and the Rays may be inching closer to a stadium in Tampa Bay. So there's some talk, you know, I think the owners are starting to think, wow, you know, think of all the billions of dollars we could get for expansion teams. Let's start looking at that. The minute you do that and you put an expansion team in Nashville, nobody can threaten to move to Nashville, right? So I think all the existing owners are like, this is our moment, right? This is the time when we want to say, you don't want us to move to Nashville. You don't want us to move to know, Montreal, <laughs> any place that's uh, you know, San Antonio. Um, and we've got to get our demands in now. So yeah, I think that- you know, Neil, it's interesting you mentioned that because we have noticed that they're trying to play both the Chicago White Sox and Milwaukee as both the teams are going to move to Nashville, which is of, which is about as possible as when Manfred came to threaten Milwaukee a month and a half ago, saying they want every stadium to be in the top 25% of MLB stadiums, which is like, that's a mathematical gymnastics that Neil only, only comes up to or is close to the Oklahoma city mayor this week saying that a 1% sales tax to fund the Oklahoma city arena isn't really a sales tax. Um, Neil, please, before I go to my uh, co-host to ask you other questions, could you comment on how we used to actually have a legitimate debate about whether financing made money. Now it just seems 
I don't know. It's almost like Trumpian type arguments and it's just give me the damn money. Uh, your thoughts. I think it's always been all over the place and depends on honestly, you know, how much division there is amongst the political leadership in your city or in your county or your state, right? Um, if you have a strong political opposition that is saying, you know, no, we're going to make an issue of this, then it becomes a public debate. Um, if, you know, both parties are on the same page, then you tend to see things, you know, it's just about not, are we going to spend this amount of money, but which money are we going to spend? Um, and, you know, again, going back to the 90s, there were cities where there were huge fights and there were cities where there were, you know, were not huge fights. Um, you know, Milwaukee, obviously, and, and Wisconsin was uh, was was a fight down to the wire. You ended up seeing a state senator, you know, switch sides and then get uh, get recalled over it. Um, but that doesn't always happen, you know, and even in those days, there were plenty of deals that sort of sailed through. And then after the fact, everyone was like, wait, what what just happened here? Um, and I think, you know, that's the goal is to try to avoid that. Right. And one of the advantages here is that because, um, you know, the brewers and, uh, you know, the the state uh, officials had sort of tipped their hand before the last possible second. Right. It's not like the Buffalo Bills Stadium where the mayor of New York came in the last week of the legislative session and said, OK, here's a billion dollars. Approve it now. Um, and there was no time for debate. There is a little bit of time for public debate. And I think that's an advantage that you want to take advantage. You know, you want to take the opportunity of, uh, you know, pressing on and say, OK, you you want to have time to talk about this? Let's actually talk about this and not just say which, you know, $400 million are going to use. But does $400 million even make sense? Neil, that's that's an excellent point, because what you're saying is, it. first of all, we should not be in a rush. And they are trying to bull rush us. We have a long lease, so we should take our time. But most importantly, what you're saying is where leaders stand up and represent the people and not the billionaire, we can do much better in these deals. We can change the dynamics of them. Robert. I wanna, the way I'm thinking about this, and I was in the state legislature lobbying on this this week, uh, this is no different than the other behavior of, of the ultra-rich corporate America. The ethic is if you can get more, you have to get more. We've recently heard Wall Street complaining that pharmaceutical companies aren't charging enough because they could get even more, that that's the ethic. And it goes back to the Reagan era and uh, kind of the free market revolution. So even though they have, like in in the Brewers case, team bought for $235 million, worth $1.6 billion now and appreciating at about $190 million a year, 12% a year, Okay. They're, they have no need for this. Mark Antanasio is worth $700 million as far as we know, he, and that's in 2020, probably more. And, so, and it's a big tax dodge for them. But since they can do it, it looks like MLB is a cartel, a legalized cartel, is trying to make sure it happens everywhere. And this is like an MLB strategy where they're a club of rich guys, mostly guys, I think, I don't know if they're women owners, um, who are decided they're all going to do this and to be on the team we're all going to go because if they don't extort it out of Wisconsin, then we can't extort it out of Nevada and we can't extort it out of uh, out of out of Tampa or Nashville or Charlotte or whoever else, Portland, whoever else is going to get a team. So am I analyzing this right? This is just pure greed and we can get more. So we're going to. Yeah, absolutely. Two things about what you said. One, um, it is definitely the same as we've seen in other industries in terms of just trying to extort you know extract money from from local cities um and in fact was inspired by that you know i mean the the this started in the 80s when reagan slashed funding for 
um, you know, slash federal funding to cities, cities started thinking, okay, how can we sort of try and promote economic development if we're not getting any federal money um, for job programs? Okay, we can offer cash to companies to come locate here. And then sports team owners started looking around saying, oh, you know, car companies and computer chip plants and things like that are getting all this money to locate in a town. Why aren't we doing that? Um, So, you know, I think that's, uh, that's, Absolutely, what's happening? And sorry, what was the second part of your uh, your question? That this, they're operating as a unified cartel, where the club of owners have all decided to do this, and there's an idea that we're all in this together. And it, even I don't know if Mark Antonio has any doubts about doing it. He's being told you can't because we need to get this, this, and this before we expand. We need to get this out of expansion cities. That, in other words, this has now become the business model of MLB, and they're using their legalized monopoly. Uh, that is that is at the federal level to uh, execute this exactly, and they and they all stand behind each other, and they're all on the same page, and they all learn from each other, right? You know, and I'm sure if a team owner came into the uh, into the uh, you know the owners' meetings and said, "Hey, you know what? I'm just going to build my own stadium. I don't want to bother with all that stuff," um, they would immediately get shouted down and say, "You're going to ruin it for everyone," right? Um, but on top of that, one of the things when you talk about it becoming the business model, um, when you look at the at the numbers behind these things, um, you know, is our renovations to the Brewer Stadium really worth four hundred million dollars to the team? Right. If Athanasio had to do it out of his own money, maybe not. You know, when you're talking about stadiums that cost. You know, look look at Las Vegas. They're saying one point five billion dollars to move the A's from a market where they don't sell any tickets because the team is awful to a market which would be you know the smallest in baseball and they're still probably not going to sell very many tickets um you know they it might be a benefit to them but not if you have to start by spending 1.5 billion dollars so most of these things i feel like this is the dirty little secret of this the stadium you know boom of the last 30 40 years is that most of the stadiums are being built not because teams want new stadiums it's because teams want the money that comes with new stadiums and if you go to the state legislature and you say i want 400 million dollars in cash please and 20 unmarked 20 <laughs> they say what are you insane if you go there and say hi i would like 400 million dollars please because i need stadium upgrades then suddenly it's well let's sit down and talk um and you know we're getting this many new stadiums because it's a dodge by which team owners can just extract public money for themselves and and with that we're going to take a quick break you're listening to the battleground wisconsin with citizen action welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we are here talking with neil demoss from field of schemes priscilla your question yeah, um, I want to talk about what's happening uh, with the teachers unions uh, over in Nevada. Uh, as we know, teachers unions are, uh, you know, some of the most powerful unions across the whole country, and they get a lot of shit done. Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on uh, with, with the teachers union, what, what is known right now at the teachers union, uh, and how it can encourage people to get involved to stay as informed as possible and what we we can do personally uh to make sure that these are good decisions that our electeds are be are making yeah i actually just talked to the folks at the nevada union teachers union last week um and um so what happened was uh the owner of the oakland a's john fisher decided he wanted to move to las vegas pushed through this stadium bill um, that, you know, they ran out of time in the regular sessions. They held a special session and, um, you know, had, this, you know, so crazy full court press 
to uh, you know push through about six hundred million dollars in public money. Um, after which the Nevada Teachers Union came out and said, "Hold on a minute. We in Nevada have the ability to put a referendum on the ballot to overturn." this uh, funding decision. And we're going to push to do that because we see that this is incredibly unpopular and it's going to you know, siphon money away from other public needs like education. Um, and that was very interesting. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. They seem to have uh, framed the referendum, the ballot language in a way that uh, it will be able to clear legal muster. Uh, and it certainly seems like uh, the voters are are pretty opposed to this. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens, especially if like, you know, the team tries to sell stadium bonds before the ballot measure goes up because it's not supposed to be voting on until the end of 2024. And then you get into, you know, huge legal wrangling. I, I expect a lot of lawyers are going to get very rich off of this. Um, but it's very sort of interesting and encouraging to see, you know, a large union go after this because, you know, I mean, obviously unions have been in the past uh, a primary force for, you know, pushing for more sensible spending um, and have funded a lot of, you know, corporate subsidy watchdogs and things like that. Um, and but, you know, at the same time, you know, much like sports team owners, unions also tend to sort of circle the wagons at certain times and be like, okay, well, the construction unions want this, so we're not going to oppose it. Um, so that doesn't happen in every state and every city. Um, but, you know, it's the sort of thing that I think, you know, needs to happen more because it's directly going to come out of the pockets of these union members, right? You know, if suddenly there's a cuts in, in uh, education money or, you know, at least not money to increase you know, education spending the way that you would want to. I remember years and years ago um, when the Baltimore Orioles got uh, and, the, and the Ravens got money from lotteries to uh, to uh, fund their stadiums and, you know, said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's lottery money. You know, it's not coming out of taxes. And then a couple of years later, somebody said, oh, that's great. Let's do a lottery to fund education as well. And we're told, sorry, we've tapped out the lottery market. No can do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, look, that that what's what's most interesting about this and Priscilla, I'm really glad uh, you brought this up about what's going on in Nevada. Uh, Neil, here in Wisconsin, we just went through a, a state budget where um, private voucher schools got the, a historically large expansion in resources in over like 30 years. Uh, and uh, a number of public school districts actually going to see less money. So we actually think it's instructive and it's um, uh, great to see teachers in Nevada leading and think they could play a unique role here in Wisconsin because this really is a fundamental battle between the public and the people who wildly against these and the wealthy and well-connected, including many of our politicians, uh, who want to be aligned with the billionaire. Neil, any final thoughts um, uh, in terms of instructive insight based on your knowledge and experience for us here as we try to build public support and build political will, which is what you have really kind of laid out as fundamentally key here, to push back and actually make this something that doesn't soak taxpayers yeah, I think one thing to keep in mind is that team owners and their political allies always try and make it seem like, you know, this is absolutely urgent. This needs to be decided right now. Um, you know, we in our book, we actually called it the two minute warning, you know, because like it's, you know, constantly like if this doesn't happen now, it's never going to happen. Um, and it's important to remember that that is almost never the case. Right. You know, team owners 
will come back time and time again and they will you know renegotiate and you know as much as they're claiming it's a, it's an urgent matter um you know the the florida marlins when they were tr- first trying to get a new stadium um every year would go to the state legislature and say if this doesn't happen now this team is absolutely moving and then it wouldn't happen and the next year they'd be back no really this year if this doesn't happen now it's absolutely 10 years it took 10 that years sounds took. like david sam finally got what they wanted but um, you know, just the fact that it obviously meant that, you know, all of these threats are, are you know, just, you know, being pulled out of their ears. Well, Neil, I want to thank you, first of all, for decades of, of, of being a leader on helping communities like us, but just being there to to provide information and be clear about morally clear about what's right and wrong here and taking the time to join us and, and talk about that. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Always happy to be here. Again, Neil's website, Field the Scheme, we will have a link to it. Really encourage you to check it out. Constantly posting about everything that's going on around this. And it's important for us to understand we're part of a broader push here. Uh, and we need to not just think this is uh, some separate independent thing. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Well, first of all, um, again, want to thank Neil for joining us, but uh, we have a couple, we have a few minutes left in the show, and I really am curious to hear from both of you, get both of your sort of responses to what we just heard from Neil. And Robert, I just want to go to you first, because you you referenced this in the conversation with Neil. You, you were at um, at the Capitol this week, talking to uh, um, Democratic leaders, in particular, a, a number of Senate leaders. But um, any insights, any thoughts on what you heard from Neil, um, your conversations this week, and just where we're headed? Um, and then, of course, Priscilla, I want to also get any thoughts you may have had from this conversation with Neil. Well, Neil has been, in many cases, and in this case, laying out what a bad deal this is for the public, for a state or a, a, a city. Um, and that's obvious, and that they may create false urgency. And so I was invited to speak to the Democratic Senate, Senate Democrat Caucus. Just so you know, they do not have outside guests generally, but the Brewers have gotten access to both Democrat caucuses, Assembly and the Senate. So the Senate at least had balance. And uh, and I also heard things when at the Capitol talking to others as to where things are going with the Evers administration. I did not talk to them directly. Look, these senators are feeling a lot of pressure. There's kind of like different camps where they feel like there's urgency. There was clearly a lot of, you know, tension in the room. And all I encourage everybody to do is slow this down. There's no urgency and make a good deal for the public because just doing a direct subsidy is not a good deal. And, and one thing I'll add that Neil didn't add is there have been 130 studies and there's an academic review of all of them. And there is no economic benefit to these uh, stadium subsidies. And in fact, it's negative because of the benefit you'd get from $400 million. And it, this has been studied every which way since the 1990s by a variety of methodologies. And so it is not in the public interest unless there is reciprocal public benefit. And that's what accountable progressive economic development is either community benefits that that they agree to that are actually tabulated to be worth that much or as we are proposing an equity share in the team cut a rapidly growing asset 190 million a year and then the, the the owners will still get a ton a bundle when they eventually sell the brewers will be north of two billion in value then but the public will get some of it back for this investment 
and uh, and in fact, uh, gay, uh, take it right now. They get all the gain, social, uh, privatized gain, socialized cost. At a time when we are not funding education, we are not funding childcare, we're not funding healthcare. In fact, we are saying public housing for the brewers and not for folks who are without housing because yeah, of the housing yeah. crisis in the state. Absolutely. Priscilla, oh, I would thoughts? just say calls to Democratic legislators are critical because the governor's team, from what I hear, just wants to think this is between them and Voss and they just need to find a way to fund it and they should just do it. And there's full steam ahead from what I've heard secondhand about what the Evers folks are telling people who are talking to them. Well, folks, the governor has a hotline, too. Priscilla, your thoughts and you specifically brought up the Nevada educators and any thoughts you may have about like just um how do we get how do we start to really get the community other groups people like to start to like speak out uh and speak up for what clearly a poll by the way came out this week 55 i think 50 56% of Milwaukee county voters are against this priscilla yeah um it's it's really interesting something that made me laugh when uh neil was talking was thinking about like the the time between when a stadium is originally built and when they can not laughably ask for renovations and in my mind miller park was just built like a couple years ago and thinking like i googled i had to google while he was talking the like county stadium shut down in 2000 i was a young elementary student at that time uh and so miller park has been around and now yeah, it's been that's been hey, 20, 23 years. Yeah, Priscilla, I don't mean to interrupt. Like, as you're saying this, you have made a, a incredibly profound point. How many how many people maybe who are in school like you in 2000 and maybe had their b- school built in 2000 or having a brand new school built for them just 20 years later? You think there's a lot of that? <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're constantly seeing uh years after like look at washington heights uh how terrible that that field has gotten uh so yeah this money could go you know there uh which is what i think the nevada teachers are really pushing for and shows that importance of you know more community groups need to get we need all the community groups to get involved this is not just sports fans this is not just oh i like the brewers and i want to keep them here and i want to have a good time when i go to watch games but this is this is about public funding and where that should be going and so many groups hurting because they don't have the funding uh because of of so many different choices so this just really yeah it highlights how many different community groups this is going to take to really to really show that like, yeah, the community, what the community actually needs. So, so folks, we, we heard, you heard it from Neil, like the only thing that's going to change us is our agency as the public, which we know is, you know, opposed to this and really would like to see if any money is going to go right. That there be a full protection of the public money. We're, as Robert said, calling for public equity for a portion to make sure we're whole for whatever investment would be, but there are a whole lot of options, but we are, fundamentally calling for our leaders to step up and to represent the people, not the billionaires, and the public interest, not the billionaires' interest. So please reach out to the governor, reach out to your state legislators, let them know, tell them, tell them to make us whole, tell them to fight, and we're in no rush. Folks, we are in a rush down the show, though. We've got to wrap it up. I want to thank Neil DeMoss 
demolish like stuff onto rocks and the trees. From Field of Schemes, again, folks, check out their amazing work on this. And we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.